0: I mean it, Jeff. Don't make me wait.
1: I won't, Kat. I'll be there.
0: Good. This place gives me the creeps at night.
1: Why don't you get a job somewhere else?
0: Like where? A fast food joint? I don't think so.
1: I was thinking hooters.
0: Ha ha, Mr. Funny Man. You're such a perv. Let me call you right back. A guest just came in. I'll wait. Fine. Whatever. Hi, checking in?
2: Perhaps... This is a lovely motel.
0: Okay, sure. Single or double.
2: Tell me, young lady, do you have a guest staying by the name of Harry Strange?
0: I don't know. What does he look like?
2: He's tall. Wears a raincoat, regardless of the weather? Do you have a register I can check?
0: Yeah, but we're really not supposed to give out information on our guests. Are you a cop or something?
2: Definitely or something. Couldn't you just peek for me? Just this once. He's an old friend, and I want to surprise him. I don't know. I promise. I won't tell. What's that you're reading?
0: Oh, I'm reading it again. It's called Twilight.
2: Oh, that's about the glittery vampires, right?
0: Well, they sparkle, not glitter.
2: Of course. I haven't read them, but I did enjoy the movies. Really? Why are you surprised? Do you think an old guy like me cannot appreciate the romance between Edward and Bella?
0: No, no, that's not it. Most guys I know think Twilight's stupid.
2: I'd say most of those guys are little more than hairless apes, Catherine. I know about forbidden romance and how painful it can be to love someone who cannot love you back.
0: Hey, how did you know my name?
2: I'm magic. Your name tag, darling.
0: (laughs) Oh, of course. I am impressed that you like Twilight. What did you say your friend's name was?
2: Strange. Harry Strange.
0: Yes, here it is. He's an STS. Short-term stay. He prepaid for three months. Checked in about a month ago. Oh, hey. He is a looker.
2: You remember him?
0: No, we keep a copy of Guest Driver's License in the database. So do you want a room?
2: I don't think that will be necessary, Catherine. I'll just wait for Harry and his.
0: But I haven't told you his room number.
2: I'll find it myself. And for the record, Catherine, vampires don't sparkle.
0: What? Fangs? Fingernails? You're a vamp- Oh my god, they're real!
2: Descend, my children. Kill them all!
3: Magic and magical people, the unnatural order is all around us. There are white witches, black witches, demons, vamps, werewolves, shapeshifters, ghosts... It's a protoplasmic party of creature features out there. But unless you know where to look, you won't find them. I know where to look. My name is Harry Strange.
4: The Shroud? You used part of the actual Shroud of Turin to heal my wound?
3: Carmen, blood was gushing out of you like a fire hydrant. I wasn't going to let you die.
4: And I am eternally grateful that you saved my life, but I need to understand this fire thing.
3: Yes. I didn't think about side effects. Is it very painful?
4: It's like a flamethrower exploding in my chest. Yeah, it hurts. After the fire stops, the pain goes away, but I'm drained. I can't quite explain it. On the plus side, there aren't any marks or scars.
3: Not on the outside, anyway.
4: What does that mean?
3: Just because you don't see the damage doesn't mean it isn't happening. Some, most of this magic works from the inside out. It's like a cancer, and unless you're looking for it, you won't know it's there until it's too late.
4: But this is from the Shroud of Turin. How can it be bad?
3: Perception isn't everything. I'd avoid using it.
4: Believe me, Harry, I've never made a conscious effort to self-immolate. The fire has always started after an unnatural attacked me. It's like a self-defense mechanism. Why are you pulling in here?
3: Because this is where I was staying before my unfortunate hookup with Vampire Girl's shotgun.
4: The Barnacle Inn? I've seen condemned halfway houses that looked in better shape than this place.
3: It's out of the way, isolated, and inexpensive. All the things I look for in a hotel.
4: And as long as you don't mind sharing your room with some roaches, it's perfect.
3: This is Florida. Every hotel has roaches. I'm going to swing by the office and tell them I'm checking out so they can have a refund check ready for me.
4: Um, maybe you should sleep and shower before you see anyone? You're getting a bit ripe and we could both use some shut-eye. Good point. Charming. All exterior doors. Not very safe.
3: You worry too much. You need to relax, like... Hmm, that's interesting.
4: A couple of doors are open.
3: There's something else here. You should stay with me. Something bad is here. Do you hear that?
4: I don't hear anything.
3: Exactly. It's... What night is it? Saturday. It's Saturday night, and there isn't any activity.
4: Well, it is almost two in the morning. Technically, it's Sunday.
3: We should still hear something. Look at the frame on that door.
4: It's shattered. Someone kicked it in. This one also.
3: Carmen, follow me. I want to look in this room. The lights aren't working. Do they ever? Good point. Listen.
4: Here, let me shine my flashlight over there.
3: A head popped up from the other side of the bed. Its lips were red with fresh blood and flesh hung from its teeth. The halfling looked as surprised as we were. Luckily, I was faster.
4: What was that?
3: A halfling well on his way to being a full vamp.
4: I mean, what did you shoot it with? My ears are still ringing.
3: Special blend. Gunpowder, silver, garlic, and a couple of secret ingredients. I still have a few friends in the order who keep me supplied. Shine the light over here. Our halfling was young, probably a teenager. I think he was chowing on Mom. Let's see what we have in the bathroom. Oh, Look in the tub.
4: That's nasty!
3: We can't help him. Let's get back in the car.
4: Um, only if there's a back door. There's a gaggle of vamps coming in the front door.
3: Crap. Back to the bathroom. And I believe more than two vamps is considered a colony. You do have a door spell or something, right?
4: Throw this down, and make an unbroken line with it.
3: Got it. A vamp was running towards us. I raised my gun to fire.
5: No! Don't shoot!
3: At that exact second, the vampire hit the doorway, and bounced backwards, as if it had hit an invisible wall. Oh, nice one.
4: It's a psychic barrier. Nothing magical can get in or out. Your bullets would have just bounced around in here.
3: Good safety tip. How long will it hold?
4: We should be good for a couple of hours, unless you invite them in. Look at them. I've never seen a vampire up close. Those fangs! Their nails look like brown razor blades.
3: Not quite emo love gods, huh?
4: Not by a long shot.
3: These are freshly turned. Most of them don't understand their new bloodlust, but they're compelled by a need as great as breathing. Some of them were probably guests at this hotel. Look there. That one's wearing a St. Augustine, America's oldest city t-shirt. That's not something most vamps would wear. Now it's probably the last shirt he'll ever wear.
4: Harry! Harry!
3: Right. Sorry. Sort of wondered there.
4: They're running toward the door.
3: There are cops out there. We have to warn them colony will kill him harry no Ugh. hitting the invisible barrier was like running into a glass patio door that punches back i landed hard on my ass
4: didn't i say that nothing magical can pass through the barrier do you ever listen
3: take it down take it down those cops will be killed go i don't think so bloodsucker. What the hell? I'm trying to help you! Stop shooting at me!
4: I don't think they can hear you.
3: Great. Back window. Now, while the vamps are distracted. The window led to an alley between the two hotel buildings. The vampires were overwhelming the police. We reached an alley that led to the front of the hotel. At the parking lot, we looked around the corner of the building. It was pure human carnage. The smell of fresh blood was pungent and the blacktop was wet with it. The vamps weren't even drinking, they were just killing. I saw a vamp jump over a squad car and rip a policeman's head from his body. The head rolled unevenly until it was stopped by the back tire of my car, its eyes looking up at the night sky. I felt Carmen shaking. She held my hand like a drowning woman. You've never seen a vampire frenzy before, have you? no It's okay, Carm. Even the professional vampire hunters would have a difficult time seeing this. My car's right there. I'm going to get it, and then you and I are getting the hell out of here.
4: Are you crazy? You're not leaving me here.
3: It'll be faster to go alone. Look, you'll be able to see where I am the entire time. Here, you keep the gun. It's cocked and ready to go. What will you use? I'll be fine. My keys are still in the ignition. It's just 20 feet. I'll run there and be back here before you can say abracadabra, okay? Okay. Carmen kissed me. Her lips were as soft as flower petals. What was that for?
4: Luck. Why? Was that wrong?
3: No, nothing. Just... just some... It's fine. Be right back. So far, so good. My keys were where I left them, and the Monte Carlo sounded like a tiger when I started her. I looked over at Carmen and gave her a thumbs up, just as three vampires dropped in behind her. I tried to wave, but it was too late. One vamp grabbed her and pulled her back into the alley. The gun in her hand fell and discharged uselessly into the air. I punched the gas and the Carlo leapt forward. I drove up on the sidewalk and got as close to the alley as I could. There was a roar like a jet engine and the alley exploded into flames. It went from night to day in an instant as the wooden structure of the hotel was engulfed in flames. I jumped out of the car and ran into the alley. Two of the vampires were on the ground, flailing and burning, the moisture in their bodies boiling and bursting. The vampire who had grabbed Carmen was little more than a charred skeleton. His eyes melted into a gelatinous blob above a smoldering hunk of cartilage that had been a nose. The only meat left on his head was charred blackened by the fire. Carmen was lying on the ground, blue-orange flame shooting from her wound. This wasn't like a flame from a fireplace. This was a flame from an open gas main. Every few seconds, the fire would launch itself, ball-shaped, into the air. A second or so later, another fire would ignite and the process would repeat. I was still five feet away from her when I started sweating. Carmen's mouth was opened in a silent scream, her eyes squeezed shut against the pain. I waited for the fire to launch itself into a fireball and slipped my hands on her and lifted her up. The next fire started and my jacket began to burn. As I carried her to the car, the skin on my hands began to melt. The vamps who had been flopping around were still. The air smelled like burning hair and flesh. By the time we got to the car, Carmen's fire stopped. My hands were melted down to the bones. This was much like the pain of hellfire. I wanted to put my hands in some water. Right now, though, that wasn't an option. Had to get out of here, unfortunately, I couldn't drive with my hands in their current condition. Carmen, sweetie. I know it's bad, but you need to drive. I can't get my hands around the wheel.
4: I I I can't.
3: Honey, we can't be here when the police get here. Carmen leaned against the car as I walked back to the alley.
4: Don't leave me. Look what happens when you leave me.
3: My gun. It's the last one I have. I couldn't squeeze my Carmen's fire had burned away most of the muscles, making it impossible to lift anything. Crap. I stood for a second, thinking how to pick up my gun. I looked back at Carmen, who was still leaning against the car door. No damage my ass. She was albino pale. There was a hole in her shirt from the fire, but I didn't see any damage. I looked back at my gun. I really didn't want to lose this one. It was the last one that I had that would fire my special blend of shells. The barrel lay facing me. The hole still black from its last discharge. Time was ticking and sirens were getting closer. Soon more of the vampires would come over, and I wasn't sure if Carmen could survive another shroud fire. I solved it. I slipped my index finger into the muzzle, pushed the gun back into the wall. Once it was there, I was able to push it up against the wall, balancing it with my other hand. I turned back to the car and was relieved to see Carmen behind the steering wheel. I ran around to the other side. I was unable to open the door, and she leaned over, grimacing, and popped the lock for me. Drive slowly. Don't draw any attention to us. We're just a couple of nosy tourists.
4: Your hands! Did I do that?
3: Don't sweat it. They'll be okay. When you get out to the main road, head to the interstate and go north. We need to put miles, preferably a state, between this motel and us.
4: We need to get you to an emergency room.
3: You're sweet. You were just a human Roman candle and you're worried about my hands. I'll be fine. While we're driving, I'll tell you a little story. One I should have told you years ago. It was 1931 when I met Madeline Nero. The Great War had been over since 1918 and I was too young to have served there, but we were about to enter another war. I don't just mean the economics of the time. Darkness was growing over the earth, but I didn't know it. By the end of 1932, my life and my name would be forever changed. I was working for a private dick named Jake Roscoe. I was late for work. Back in the old days, I went by my given name, Romeo Chase. Nice of you to come in today, Chase. Sorry, Roscoe. I had a late night. Chasing skirts isn't going to help you on the unemployment line. You know there's a depression going on, right? There are a hundred other guys out there who would jump at the chance to get your job. But none of them could do it as well as I. Coffee? Sure. I'd love a cup. I meant, is it made? It will be as soon as you make it. Tell me again why I work for you. Because, Chase, you want to learn from the best. Ah, that's right. The best at what? Real funny, kid. Forget the coffee. I'm going to go get a racing form. Maybe grab an egg from the shop down the corner. You man the fort. Manning the fort is my middle name. I wonder why he didn't use the racing form in the morning edition. Can I help you? Hello, who are you?
1: She is my niece. I would appreciate it if you would put your eyes back into your head. Sorry, old man. Who are you? Who am I? I am Victor Nero, of Nero Industries. You may have heard of me. I am the single largest client of this detective agency.
3: I'm sorry, Mr. Nero. I'm Romeo Chase. My secretary, Ivy Jones, and my
1: niece, Madeline Nero.
6: Please, call me Maddie.
1: Maddie. I think it would be better if you called her Miss Nero. We don't want the hired help getting too familiar,
3: honey.
6: Uncle Victor, stop.
3: It isn't a problem, Miss Nero, and your uncle is correct. As clients of the Roscoe Agency, you're to be afforded the utmost respect. I am your humble servant, ma'am.
7: And mine
1: as well?
3: Of course, Miss Jones. Would any of you like a cup of coffee? No time for that. Is Roscoe here? He just stepped out. I'm surprised you didn't pass him in the hallway.
1: Well, we didn't. Do you think I'd be standing here talking to you if your boss was here?
3: Of course not, Mr. Nero. Where would the profit be in that? Profit? What do you know of profit? I was just saying, sir, that if my boss were here, why would you waste your time with the hired help?
1: Ivy, didn't you call to tell Roscoe we were coming?
7: I'm sorry, Mr. Nero. if There wasn't enough...
1: Useless! Drop
3: it!
7: <laughs> Ow!
3: Nero drew his hand back to slap her again, but I stopped him. Mr. Nero, sir, with all respect due to a man in your position, I cannot allow you to slap a woman twice for the same offense. Even a black woman.
1: You speak as a gentleman, sir. You may interfere this time, but I will not allow it a second time.
3: Perhaps you'd like the coffee now, Mr. Nero. We can wait together for Roscoe's return.
1: No, I haven't the time to wait for Roscoe. He's probably off to the track today. I'll tell you. Try to keep it straight.
3: I'll write it down in my little detective book, sir.
1: (sighs) Very well. It would probably be your assignment anyway. I want a bodyguard for my niece. Uncle? That's not exactly what we do, sir. Madeline, we have been through this before. Mr. Chase, my business is getting more competitive. There are certain people who are planning to move against me, and will try to affect me by any means or motive they can. My niece, daughter of my brother, is my only remaining family member. I want her protected around the clock. Roscoe drinks too much and is too fat to do it himself, so I assume the task will fall to you. Am
3: I correct in that assumption? Yes, sir, that's how I see it. What manner of protection will Miss Nero require?
6: I do not require any protection. I will not be followed around by some Neanderthal in a cheap suit.
3: Miss Nero will need constant
1: protection. She is quite active and my business brings me in contact with some dark characters. Ivy, the envelope, please.
7: Here, Mr. Nero.
1: This is your standard retainer, plus double your daily fee. There's also a bonus in there, Chase, but Roscoe doesn't need to
3: know about that. Thank you, Mr. Nero. Roscoe will get every dollar in this envelope. <laughs> he will, won't he? Yes, sir. That's the right thing to do.
1: <laughs> you're you're serious, aren't you? Well, then I know you are the right one. Come, Ivy. Let's leave and give Maddie and the big boy scout a chance to get to know each other.
6: I will leave as soon as you are gone, Uncle.
1: I know, but I doubt you'll be able to shake Mr. Chase off your scent.
3: Good day. Mr. Nero, you haven't given me a lot of detail. Should I be looking for someone specific? Is there a group of people? Anything you can tell me will help me make sure Miss Nero stays safe.
1: You've impressed me, Chase. Don't ruin it by asking me to do your job for you. Roscoe knows what is what. Your job is to keep her safe. Do
3: it however you want, but keep her safe. Good day, sir. This will be easier if you pretend to like me.
6: Easier for who, Mr. Chase? I like you just fine. I just do not need a watchdog.
3: Your uncle seems to think otherwise.
6: My uncle's a rich capitalist who thinks he can get his way because of his bankroll.
3: Are you one of those people who doesn't like capitalism?
6: No, I love capitalism. Unlike most of the country, capitalism is being very good to me. Unlike my uncle, I think we should be able to do more with it.
3: He appears to have your best interest at heart.
6: (sighs) By hiring a goon to follow me around.
3: Miss Nero, I am not a goon. I take my job and responsibilities very seriously.
6: Hit a nerve, did I?
3: With all respect, Ms. Nero, you don't seem that different from your uncle.
6: Hmm. Well, it's been nice, but I have a lunch date.
3: I'll get my hat. Why? Because from now on, your dates include me.
6: I don't think this is going to work out very well, Mr. Chase. I don't think so at all.
3: I followed Madeline out the door. She didn't wait while I locked the front door, but I caught her before she got to the elevator. We made quite the pair walking down the street. Me in my gray suit, gray overcoat and gray hat. Madeline with her close-cropped hair poking out from her deep red hat. Her knitted plaid sports suit clung smartly to her body, drawing approving glances from the men who dared glimpse twice. For her part, Maddie seemed unaware of the looks she received. I, however, was very aware. Carm, are you feeling okay? You're looking a little... pale.
4: I'm fine. Just a little sore. Keep talking.
3: Okay. I was much more taken with her than I let on. We were doing everything together. Well, she was doing, I was watching. But we were spending a lot of time together. Eventually she started to talk to me about her friends and boyfriends. Her boyfriends were mostly little hipsters who, given the opportunity, I would have gladly smacked with the sap or told to take the heel to toe that wasn't what I was hired to do. Shortly after the incident at the Ink Spot, we started liking each other a lot more. You know how they say people who survive intense situations are often drawn to each other because of the shared situation? Well, Maddie and I would share many intense situations. The Ink Spot was just the first of them. The Ink Spot was an illegal speakeasy located well outside of town. It was mostly a black club, though younger whites who imagined themselves to be hipsters and flappers were frequenting the club more in recent weeks. Her chippy friend Evelyn decided she and Maddie should visit the hotspot. The building itself was an old A-frame barn, a tinderbox with one entrance for customers and a small back door. It was surrounded by a dirt field that acted as a parking lot. There weren't many windows, two, both in the back. With its limited entrances, it would be easy to monitor who came in. On the other hand, those limited entrances would make it hard to get out in a hurry. While Maddie and Evelyn did the things that girls do, I scoped the place out. I was watching three college boys doing their best to talk their way into a pack of flappers when a black car pulled up. Now remember, this is 1931. Most cars were black. But everything about this car was black, including the windows. A man wearing a long top jacket and hat pulled down around his eyes stepped out. He did nothing wrong, but the hair on the back of my neck stood up. The man walked toward the end of the building and looked around, and then went to the other side. I decided to have a little chat with him and went to the front door. A couple of skirts gave me the once over, but my focus was on the front door and Maddie. Outside, I lit a cigarette, and the smoke billow made me think of ghosts. Odd, because back then, I didn't believe in ghosts. Three or more cars pulled into the lot, also all black. Men started piling out of the cars. I thought they were mobsters, but then I saw a flash of their skin. It was sickly pale. I'd seen that color of skin on Doughboys returning from the Great One. Most of them didn't live very long. I didn't know who these mugs were, but it was time to go. I went back inside to collect Maddie, who, of course, wasn't where she was supposed to be. Suddenly there was a crash at the back window and I saw two canvas bags land near the bar. The musicians, unaware of what had happened, continued to play. Several of the customers walked towards the bags. I wanted to know what was in them. I wouldn't do that. The bag is moving. But it was too late. One of the men grabbed the sack just as the first snake poked its head out of the top. The rattler snapped hard on the man's hand. While the man tried to shake the snake from his hand, another snake slid out of the sack. And another and another more snakes slithered out of the sack more i thought than seemed to fit in the bag snakes were coming out of the other sack as well the man who had been bitten by the first snake had fallen to his knees his hand already swollen to the size of a watermelon i needed to find maddie and get out of there the snakes were moving towards the crowd odd behavior for snakes i spotted maddie and yelled for her to stay where she was she heard and started running towards me dragging her friend evelyn by the hand Three of the snakes stopped and turned towards Maddie and Evelyn. Maddie started to backpedal towards the bar. I couldn't wait anymore. I drew my gun and fired into the air. The panicking crowd parted briefly. I took advantage of the break and pushed my way through. One of the snakes pulled in front of the others and was gaining on Maddie. I took aim and fired. Its head disappeared under the weight and speed of the slug. The other snakes were almost on Maddie. She scrambled to her feet and pulled a bottle of hooch off the table nearest to her. She poured the liquor on the floor Splashing some on the snakes And then tossed a lit match The fire roared up Consuming all but one of the snakes I got there just as the last snake Burst through the fire I shot twice Killing it within a foot of Maddie Are you okay?
6: Just a little shook up It was as if they were after me
3: I doubt
7: Where have you been, Squarejaw? I thought your job was to protect us You're not hurt No thanks to you
3: We need to get out
7: No argument here
3: No, not towards the front door. Someone wants us to go that way.
7: That's the only door, Mr. Chase.
3: Right. That's why we're going through the back window.
7: What? Why?
3: There's a group of men out there who are not the kind of men we want to face right now.
7: We're in skirts. We're not climbing out a window.
3: Trust me, Evelyn, it's not your panties these men are after. Now go, but watch out for any snakes.
7: (laughs) Huh. Snakes indeed.
3: Only one of the men is out there, and his back is to us. Get ready. Get ready. Okay, he just turned the corner. Ladies first. When you're out, go behind the building and wait. If anyone comes who isn't me, try to stay quiet. I'll be right there. Evelyn, you first. Why me? Just in case I'm wrong and there are more of them out there.
7: I really don't like you, Mr. Chase.
3: Then stay here. Or take your chances at the front door.
7: Try to keep your eyes off my ass.
3: Up and at them. Get going to the back of the building. Okay, Maddie, your turn.
6: Okay, I'm ready.
3: Nice job with the fire back there. Quick thinking.
6: Nice job with the shooting back there. Quick thinking.
3: I do try. Here we go. Up and out. My turn. Okay, we need to get to a car.
7: Which is in the front of the building where you said we couldn't go. I'm not a big private eye or anything, but there seems to be some lapses in your logic, Mr. Chase.
3: I didn't say our car. I said a car.
6: Someone's coming. Over there.
3: Shh! Get behind me.
6: Wait, don't shoot. It's Earl.
3: Hold on. Before you go running out there, Earl isn't looking so good.
7: He's holding his throat. Probably having a hard time breathing from the smoke. Earl, over here! No!
3: Evelyn froze in place. Earl's hands dropped, exposing a tear in the skin of his throat running ear to ear as if someone had ripped the front of his throat away from his body. Under the light from the fire, black blood was running down his chest. He took two more steps towards Evelyn and dropped to his knees. In the next second, he fell face first into the grass. Behind Earl stood the man from the back of the ink spot. His mouth was red with blood and flesh hung from his fingertips.
0: No! You're a murderer! You
6: shot that man! You shot that man in the head and he didn't do anything!
3: Didn't he? As I see it, he tossed in the snakes that killed one guy inside. Ripped Earl's throat out and sent who knows how many others to their death. I didn't shoot him so much as I executed him. This makes taking his car much easier. Let's go. No! Are you going to be doing that much more? It's really getting...
6: Oh my god. He's getting up.
3: That can't be. I shot him in the head. You can still see the hole. Oh well. How can you still be standing?
4: Because, human... To
3: you, I am a god! The man grabbed Evelyn by the arms. When he opened his mouth, Matty and I saw sharp fangs rip through his gums. At the same time, his skin turned that sickly white and his eyes filled with a thick red liquid. With his free hand, he pulled Evelyn's hair, forcing her head back and exposing her neck. In one motion, he bit down on her neck, blood squirting out from around his lips. (laughs) Evelyn was able to stand up only because the man-thing held her up. When he pulled away, her skin was torn and bloody. Ah, that's the stuff. But virgin blood is so much sweeter. I picked up a stick and swung it at the vampire's head. He dodged it and then grabbed me by my jacket and threw me against the building. He threw me so hard that I crashed through the wall and slid back into the ink spot.
4: That's it, virgin. Get your blood all hot and angry for me. You are going to taste exquisite. Come here, virgin. Give me a taste. Wait. You're of Nero line. You're... you're to be the master's bride.
6: No! No! Romeo, help me!
4: He cannot help you. Why are you afraid? You will wed the master, the lord of my colony. It's a great honor to be the
6: queen. What are you talking about?
4: Tonight you will be with Vale, and I will be richly
3: rewarded. I don't think so. I came out of the building with a burning chair leg and rammed it into the vamp's back. He dropped Matty and spun to face me. His jacket quickly caught fire. The vamp ran around, trying to get the chair leg out of his back. The smell was horrible. After a second, the vamp fell face first into the grass. I pulled the chair leg out of his back and proceeded to bash his head in until all that remained was a pulpy mass of skull, brain, and goo. Romeo! Maddie swooned, as we said back in the day. I picked her up and put her into the vamp's car. We drove through the parking lot, running over vampires and humans. I saw carnage that day that rivaled what we saw a little while ago. I felt a lot like you did, I imagine. It was all I could do to hold my bile down. As we reached the end of the lot, I saw vale Pierre him. He looked at me, and even through the black film on the window, I felt his gaze burn into me. Vale started to walk towards the car, and I gunned it. I didn't slow down until we were miles away at my brother's house. That was my first encounter with any of the unnaturals, and the start of Maddie and I falling in love. Okay, Carm, that's enough for tonight. The sun will be up soon, and we can sleep. Pull into the next hotel. Even if the vamps followed us... They'll wait until tonight to strike. By this time tomorrow, either Vale or I will be dead.
5: Tonight's episode, Harry Strange 114, Romeo Chase, was written and directed by Tony Serechia and produced by Brian Ahern. All material is copyright by Tony Serechia and used with his permission. Featured in tonight's cast were Casey Morgan, William Graves, H. Keith Lyons, Sylvia Galan, Kellen Stennett, Ed Bonza, Bree Ahern, Andrea Lang, and Jason Tyler. Harry's opening theme music was written and performed by Lance Hogan and is copyrighted by Lance Hogan and used with his permission. Contact Lance at his email, hauganl at yahoo.com. Incidental music was written and performed by Kevin McLeod and is copyrighted by Kevin McLeod and used with his permission. Visit Incompetech.com for more of Kevin's music. To keep up with the latest news and information on everyone's favorite private investigator, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Harry Strange Radio. Send your questions, comments, and suggestions to producer at harrystrange.com. For the Harry Strange Radio Drama, I'm Joanne Pruden. Good night.